Well, I have some exciting news to start with this week. Um, for the first time since 2019, definitely pre-COVID, we will be doing an in-person Maybird launch meeting. Um, COVID precluded us from doing this, and even then it was kind of hard to find a public space that was large enough to accommodate our uh, robustly sized and ever-growing team. We, thanks to the efforts of some of the wonderful folks from the Skyline team, have arranged to have a meeting on January 3rd at 6 p.m. in the auditorium of Wasatch Junior High in Mill Creek. Um, I'm super, super excited. Yeah, this is super exciting because the Zoom meetings are just so easy to do. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it kind of takes away a little bit something to not have it be in person. And, and, and I think it's just, you know... We've just been thinking about things that we want to do this season to make it better than last season. Because let's be honest, last season was a rough, rough season with me having to move and the weather. I think the weather was the big one. Just that like we have, kind of have to stop Maybird when NICA starts. And I mean, when did Corner Canyon dry out? Like April? Yeah, like, it, was it was really, really rough. We weren't riding in Park City till like the middle of July, right? Yeah, it was a, it was a rough season. We just kind of were, were just trying to think of what we need to do to make this season better. And we thought it would be fun to be able to meet in person and it, it's not as convenient and it's not, it's, you know, it's a little harder to arrange and organize, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun and I think it's going to give a little bit more energy to the next season. So I'm super excited about well, it. And I like what you said that like, you know, the most, I think the most important thing with this team is the community aspect. And that just doesn't come over as strongly through zoom. You know, I think it's good for people to, see each other, talk about how winter training is going, talk about what they're excited for the next year. Uh, we'll also have, if there are any new people listening to this, uh, we'll be doing kit try-on. Um, make sure you order the right kit and stuff. Our uh, fantastic uh, kit supporter, uh, HyperThreads, will be there. Um, Hopefully. I haven't hope, asked him yet. <laughs> well, okay. So we're assuming that we will have some kind of way for you folks to, uh, to do kit try-on and stuff like that. So uh, one more time, that is Wednesday, January 3rd at 6 p.m. We'll run till about 8 p.m. The meeting should be roughly an hour, and then there will be some time after as well. For, so. for questions and to try on kits and stuff, and I'll probably bring some goodies and make it a little, make it fun. So Bring some water bottles or some punch or something <laughs> and some crackers. I don't know. We'll find something, but very much looking forward to but that. But do start telling your friends if you have friends that are have been wanting to join Maybird start start letting them know Joe is going to put that information on the website yep and we're going to be announcing it on Instagram team step go out yeah. on all the you'll have plenty of reminders if you don't show up it's on you <laughs> yes. you'll know about it um, so really quickly before we move on we do have a quick food follow-up uh, we had a submission for uh, a local place called Stella Grill like a lot of people have been to I hadn't uh, personally yes. yet? Yes, Sydney Greenland. Um, we haven't been, been getting quite as many recommendations as we've hoped for. So It's okay. Um, but Sydney Greenland, who happens to be a really lo dedicated listener. It's, yes. She's she's Jacob's girlfriend. You didn't have to say that, Dan. Come on. Like, Well, but I just think it's funny because I don't think Jacob's ever listened to Do you think once. Jacob knows we do a podcast? I, Jacob and Sydney, you can't tell him. Jacob, if you mention what I'm saying right now, I'll give you 50 bucks. If Jacob happens oh. to be listening to this and he can bring it up, I'll give you 50 bucks and Sydney can't tell him. Okay. I well, feel very safe. You get to keep your 50 bucks. I get to keep my 50 bucks. But um, uh, I was impressed with this one. This one was a dub. Yeah. She um, she said her favorite food was, well, she gave me a couple, but 
this one sounded more interesting than the other one. Yeah. But, but it was a salmon sandwich at Stella Grill, which is in like what, Midville? Is that Midville? It's or? not Mid. Uh, kind of. I don't know. It's in that mishmash of different cities. Um, and, and I've been to Stella Grill before. It's an awesome little restaurant. It's, I hadn't been. It's it's one of my favorites. It's not terribly expensive. Lots of variety. Everything is really, really, really good. Yeah. Super um, good food. Yeah. I, the, the salmon sandwich was actually incredible. Yeah. I got I tried um, a little bit of that. I was impressed. I, I was impressed because that's that's kind of a weird presentation of salmon. That's not usually how you get that. But yeah, it was. Um, I thought it was great. Yeah, really, really fresh and really, really kind of sweet. And yeah, I yeah. liked it a lot. Congratulations, so. Sydney. You get a dub on your food recommendation. If there are any others, please send them our way and uh, we will we will evaluate them. Um, we did have a question. Well, kind of two questions that we wanted to run over before we get into our kind of main topic today. Um, first off, we had somebody ask about creatine for cycling use. And this is an interesting one because I've, I've heard about creatine a lot and I don't actually have any idea what it is. I know that like bodybuilders talk about it. Um, it's like a bodybuilding supplement, right? Like what are your thoughts on it? And then what are your thoughts on its use for cyclists? Well, creatine, um, creatine is an interesting one because it's one of the few supplements that you could take where you would actually notice a difference. Like most supplements that you would take, unless you were really, really deficient in a certain area, you would not notice a difference, good or bad, you know, for, yeah. most, for most supplements. Other than like caffeine, beetroot, and creatine are just a few of a really short list of supplements that actually do something Really noticeable. seem to move the needle in a noticeable way. Yeah. And um, it's basically a combination of, of three amino acids that help our bodies develop muscle and gain strength. Okay, so going and back to high school chemistry, amino acids make up proteins. So is it, is it like protein powder? Um, well, it's, it's, it's kind of singling out those, that particular combination. Um, and, and basically what it does, the benefits it has is it... It'll help recovery. It, it helps people recover quicker from workouts. It actually has like a lot of really, really good benefits, but there's a huge caveat too. Okay. Um, but some of the benefits are is it does increase strength. It re improves recovery. Um, and those are probably the main benefits. There's, there's a whole list of other things people claim, but um, usually it, it, in terms of strength and recovery are probably the biggest benefits. Um, the huge caveat is it's associated with a large increase in weight. Um, oh. Typically, people that supplement with creatine can gain around five or six pounds. So this is – and this is probably why it's popular in the bodybuilding space, right? Like you always hear bodybuilders talking about wanting to be able to gain weight and be in a calorie surplus and be lifting a lot to gain muscle mass to look good and stuff like that. This is more where this product is being used, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and this is actually a pretty controversial question. And I guarantee that my thoughts on it to some could be controversial. But I personally think that the cons outweigh the pros in this case. Um, I think that, you know, especially if you are not a vegetarian, you know, if you eat, if meat's part of your diet, I think you're probably getting enough as an endurance athlete. I think um, supplementing in high dosages of it, you know, while while 
well, there are a lot of benefits. Um, the increase in weight just, just even if you're not lifting, just taking creatine, you are likely to see an increase in weight weight in muscle mass or weight. Well, and it's mostly water weight. Oh, really? It makes you retain in, yeah, more water. It, yeah, it does. It's mostly water weight that's going to increase. So, so in my opinion, it's it's really not worth it unless you're vegan or vegetarian. You might consider it, and and also maybe some that are like extremely thin, like kind of the bean pole type. Basically, like if your doctor's telling you you might consider it, listen to them. Most of you are probably not. I don't, see I don't think it's something doctors usually recommend. I don't know. More... I mean, if you had like a severely <laughs> underweight vegan, maybe, right? Like maybe, it might be yeah. something you'd consider, but for like, for, yeah, probably not basically. I'd say for most people, it's probably not going to help you as an endurance athlete. So. Got it, got it. Next question we had um, in, in response to our discussion about trainers and Zwift and all that, people asking about Peloton. Um, which is the, the popular uh, exercise bike and kind of fitness platform that a lot of people have adopted in the past few years. Um, We're kind of, I don't, I've never used one, but it seems to me it's kind of like you can bring a spin class into your own home or something. And, and this, is, we should say, something that's like not a bike world thing. It's one of those things where like, this is not a bike, this, this is like, a, this is a, an extra bike thing. Um, really, really popular in the mainstream. Um, uh, Someone asked, like, using Zwift with Peloton. And it's an interesting one because Peloton bikes, and I'll take this one because uh, I have to know something sometimes, right? Peloton bikes do measure power, but they are not Zwift compatible. Uh, Peloton doesn't see fit to open their system to anyone else's stuff. So you can put power meter, uh, power meter pedals onto a Peloton bike and use Zwift that way. Um, but other than that, you can't, it's not really like a useful Zwift product. And I'd add they are fantastically expensive like considerably more than just buying a nice wahoo trainer and then you're not going to be getting the uh, like the resistance changes and stuff or like erg mode or any of that um if you want to buy a peloton because you want to stay fit and stuff like i think for general fitness if you want general fitness and have a lot of disposable income uh sure uh but like i think for cycling if your goal is to train specifically for cycling i think there are a lot of products that will serve you a lot better and in my opinion, like spin classes are great for the general public. Oh my gosh, yeah. But oh, yeah. as far as like for actual dedicated cyclists, I don't think they're great. You know, I, I think that the type of fitness that you focus on in a spin class isn't doesn't really fit in with an annual training plan for a dedicated cyclist. Burns a lot of calories, great socially, like a hundred percent. Like if you're listening to this for the first time and you're Kids really Nike, but you don't really like to ride bikes outside. I'm I'm sure it's a great fitness product. There are a lot of great fitness products. But, it's not a cycling training product. But as I such. I do know I honestly think more kids on our team have access to Pelotons. Than... I will say if Dad has a Peloton, um, you can throw some power meter pedals on there and use Zwift. Well, and and I know what I was I was gonna say is I I honestly think that. I'm surprised how many kids on our team have access to a Peloton. Yeah. I almost would, I'm almost thinking more kids have access to Pelotons, Pelotons than trainers, than, huh? than to like a trainer. So, and, and like I said, I have no experience using them whatsoever, but some of the kids I've talked to have figured out how to do like zone two rides on them or, or dial in like a certain intensity on yeah. them and they can watch like movies and YouTube videos. So, it still can be a fantastic. Oh, sure, sure. And I don't want to talk it down, but like if your goal is to use Zwift, 
you'd have to be using power meter pedals on the Peloton. And if you don't already have those, those cost as much as a trainer. Yeah. So I'd just say buy a trainer. But if you already have a Peloton, you just want to use that. I'm sure there's a way that you could use it. But it's uh, specifically I understand for... if you get the um, if you get the power meter pedals, Zwift works great with the Peloton. But you're not going to get variable resistance, which is a huge. Yeah. That's a cool so, thing with Zwift. So I was in, in response to like the specific question of Peloton with Zwift, you're much better off just buying a trainer. Peloton as a general fitness tool is great. And then, like we said, our understanding is that there are some ways to utilize the Peloton as a cycling-specific training tool. Um, if you're just shopping for something, if you don't already have a Peloton, I would probably lean towards other options. If you have a Peloton, you can adapt it. If you want to use Zwift, though, it's probably not your best bet. Okay. Fair enough. Sounds great to me. So you did mention before our main topic today, you wanted to touch a little bit on, I mean, as we're approaching the new year here, a little bit on like goal setting for the 2024 season. Yeah. And we might, you know, we're going to do, we'll probably do an entire podcast episode on setting goals and stuff. I just, I've just kind of been thinking about it a lot lately. And, and this isn't our deep dive. This is just going to be a few minutes. We're going to deal with this, but, um, I've been thinking a lot about what I want to accomplish next year and about goals. And, and I do think that setting goals is extremely important. And I think that like, I was thinking about it and I really think that like, I think sometimes we kind of softball our goals a little bit too much. You know, it's like, we don't ever want to set a goal that we can't achieve. And, to, and, and I, I really think that you should, you should set goals that are possible to achieve, but, but not, not achieving them also is possible too. But the, the key is, is to think about that goal every single day and do everything in your power to be able to achieve that goal. And whether you do or not, doesn't matter so much. What matters is how much closer did you get to achieving it because of the effort you put into it. So this is an interesting one. So just to help me like calibrate a goal that's is possible to achieve, but it's also possible that you might not. If we run the simulation 10 times, what like, like are we talking a goal that you're going to fail on nine times out of 10 or was, a goal that you're going to fail on maybe one? I was kind of thinking 10? two times out of three or something, you know, so like, you succeed or fail. You're succeeding two times out of three and failing 33% of the time. No, failing two times. So succeeding a goal that one, you, you are know. likely to not achieve then. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Interesting. You know, I, that's an interesting take. I don't think a lot of people would, because like, like a lot of people would say like a good goal is have fun, right? Or you hear that? That's a cliche. Like the main goal is to have fun, right? Do you think that is a bad goal? Well, I don't. I I think that that is more of a why than a goal. Oh, okay. So how would you, how do you distinguish like, whys and goals? Like for me, like a goal is just something that you'd like to do that you currently can't or aren't, you know? Okay. And, um, and something that that's very possible. And if you did things right, you could accomplish, but there's a possibility that it might not work out. But as long as you, made a lot of improvements along the way and, and, and thought about it a lot and tried, then it's still a success. It's still a win. So yeah. I want to, I'm curious about the other half of this for you, where you're saying a goal that you 
you know, are, are more likely to fail than not or go and, where like, okay. maybe and you asked that question. I hadn't sure, even sure, sure. thought about that. I you uh, fail uh, half the time you fail two times out of three, whatever it is. If everybody listening to this goes and applies that, what are your thoughts for the people who don't achieve their goal? Like, how do you approach that? Well, well, like I said, the, the approaching the goal itself isn't the important thing to me. It's the important thing is that if you're going to set a goal to make a big deal of it, like, like don't just have something like a goal you set, like a new year's resolution. And then you don't like a week later, you don't even think about it again. Like if you're going to go to the trouble of setting a goal, it needs to be something you think about like almost every day. So it kind of has to be make a big audacious goal. Yeah. And then if you get 80% of the way there, Uh, that's a win. That's a win. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Cause I guess it's like, like, like uh, unspecific goals or like little, like I want to be better than I was last year. Like if that was your stated goal, that's, you know, I mean, first off it's hard to define. And then second, I don't know how inspiring that is because it's pretty relative. Well, and not, and not so much a goal maybe too, but maybe just like even a challenge, you know, like, um, like for instance, you know, like you, you've signed up for, you're signing up for point to point this year, you know, and that's something you haven't done before. And it's, it's something that, you know, and it's, it's something you're going to succeed at, you know, (laughs) Hmm. You know, but, but it's also something that, you know, for that to be a good experience, you're going to have to be yeah. consistent and work hard. And so goals yeah. should be affecting something in your behavior, right? Like, like me setting the goal of riding to the top of snowbird would be a bad goal. That's something I did 10 times last year. It's something I'm totally capable of doing as long as I'm not injured. That's a bad goal. But maybe saying my goal is to win the World Cup overall or the Giro d'Italia next year would be a bad goal, too, because there is a zero percent chance of me doing that. So is this, is this, in this calibration, maybe like maybe like 50 50, you know, like, or what, yeah, there's a real chance, like something that is big and audacious and hairy enough that there's a real chance that you don't actually manage to get over the line, but you can say I'm within sight of the line. But you're going to become a better person in the process of trying to achieve that. Got it. Okay. Yeah, so, and, and that's, you know, I just think kind of having something there that you're working towards um, just keeps this from being a dead end job, you know? And so, um, yeah. you know, and so like, and, and like, I like personally, I don't have any really big, hairy, audacious goals set for me personally next year, but I do have some things that I'd really like to do that I think would be fun. And they kind of, they're kind of motivating me right now super excited about him. Um, you sent me a text the other day. I did that. You that just seemed ignored. to be, well, I was, I was busy, but, <laughs> um, that seemed to be a bunch of big, hairy, audacious goals. Well, am I, am I wrong? <laughs> no, they didn't know that. Like none of them, none of them scare me that much. They just excite me. You know, should um, a goal scare you? I maybe a little bit. There's one goal on there that does a little bit, but so for next year, and, and the thing is, is I'm going to share this list with you guys just because like, if I'm going to do something big, I always like to tell a few people just so I have some accountability structure. Exactly. Um, so the, the first thing I want to do next spring is I'm planning and, and these are things that I want to do with other people. So if anyone out there wants to do these things with me, let me know. Cause I want, I want to have a few people. If anyone else out there is therapy resistant and has free time. (laughs) 
yeah, I want to I want to do these things in groups, you know. So if any of this interests you, hit me up and let's do it together. So but in the spring, I'm planning the first annual CCP2P. So background, P2P refers to point to point and uh-huh. CC is corner either canyon. the width of your tires or corner canyon. So corner yes. canyon point to point. Yeah, I want to plan the corner canyon point to point, which is a ride I want to do in the spring, which is going to basically start in Sandy and go out to Utah County all through like corner canyon trails and alpine trails and pleasant grove trails. And the goal is to get a similar amount of elevation and mileage as to point to point. So, so immediate response, gross. You, um, it is interesting. Is, is there a precedent for this? Oh, I'm sure like Drew Free does it every weekend, but right. Huh, that's, I mean, uh, that is an interesting thought because it's probably the only other place around where you could really do that like, much single track outside yeah. of Park City where there's that much single track, huh? Mm-hmm. And I assume this, this would be connected by more roads than no, I the think actual point to point, or is there I, a way? I haven't mapped it out yet, but I think I can do it. Interesting. In fact, we did a ride last season where we did like 60 miles in about. I think we did like 8,000 feet or something. So we were close last year. It, w- it wouldn't have been too hard to to add to it a little bit. So hmm. Okay. So what, what are the other goals on the list? Um, so then I'm going to do Mesa Verde solo, which isn't a huge deal, you know. But um, then I want to do – I've always wanted to do Crusher, but it usually doesn't work out well with, like, my, my race schedule for the trips I go to and stuff. So – I want to do Crusher as a group ride. You know, just get a few people together. We'll go ride the Crusher course together, kind of as like a pre-ride or something. It won't be a race. It'd just be a fun ride. But we'd we'd ride the course, and I th- I think that'd be fun for people to do. So, um, I I think that'd be awesome because I think that's something that'd be good for kids to consider doing after Nika and so forth. Oh yeah. You know. Um, then obviously point to point, and then probably. My biggest one is I want to do um, 200 miles at Frog Hollow next year. What did you do this year? I did like 140. And you were kind of, I mean, not casual, but like. Yeah, I didn't even. You were there I wasn't, riding for. I wasn't planning on even riding, you know, and so. Okay. I I snuck in last minute and, and just kind of had fun and stuff. So I. My math's bad. Is that a, what percent increase is that? I don't know. I wanted to say 25, but that's not how percentages work. <laughs> I'm really bad at math. I don't know if that ever comes through in cycling or is relevant. I also want to note that I was like, CCP to P, and I tried to make it clever. So, and I said tire width. That's C, not CC. I should have said like engine size or something. I, I, I want to correct myself there because I was like, oh, that was stupid. Again, you know, C7 nobody, or CC. No one cares. No one, but no, no. no, Miles Baker's listening to this, and he, I just thwarted his plan to make fun of me. So he's going to at you. Boom. Yeah. Come at me, Miles. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but goals. So, those so are, what, yeah, and so like, what are yours for next year? Is finish point to point. Uh, I've never done um, uh, trigger it. Finally signed up for that. You've ridden the course a bunch of times. Bunch though. of times. Never done it in a race uh, situation though. So I wonder if it'll be easier or harder because part of the problem riding it not as a race is that you waste an incredible amount of time trying Looking to at find your map. the course. <laughs> so 
Part of me wonders if it'll be easier. I think it'll be faster. Well, it's, it's going to be faster definitely for faster. Sure, um, but. but yeah, that and then and then you know, like I'm still kind of in the, and I think that like a lot of people kind of post high school when you have, like you know, school and maybe your career and your first really serious relationships going on. Like that is where I mean, we just see a huge drop off in like cycling participation post Nika. I do think my message to my people because you're near and dear to my heart is like maybe some broader goals are okay for you. And if your goal might be, I'm going to ride four times a week and the results will be what they are. Um, I, I feel like I'm finally coming out of that, but I'm still just to the point where like, you know what? I want my FTP to get better this year. Like that's a big goal for me yeah. too. So, well, my whole thing is I just want you to think of something right that you're going to think about every day. Right. That motivates you. Right. And, as a result, you'll become a better athlete because of it. There you go. You know. So whatever that looks like for you, you know, like if you're a suit, if you just retired, you have all the time and the money in the world, you might be able to be like, this is a super specific goal. If you're like, you know what, I'm going to ride as much as I can. Well, and like I my wanna, favorite you know, one was Carly Webb's when her goal was to just ride 15 hours a week. That's a great goal. And she went from like a mid, like a back of the pack JVB rider to a, podium finishing JVA rider in like one season, yeah. you know, so that was, so goal like there's an, it's like anything else. There are no easy answers. It's personal. You'll have to use discretion and find what you need. But again, so repeat that goal one more time. Cause I do think, or your intention here is, is just to, to kind of think of something that excites you enough that you're going to think about it frequently and it's going to motivate you to improve yourself, to be a better athlete, to work Damn. harder, to, yeah. So sweet. Simple as that. Simple as that. Our main deep dive today, um, uh, because, you know, like, and, and like you said, we, we do want to maybe talk a little more about, like, specific maybe goal options is an uh, episode you and I have been spitballing for a minute. That may become in the future. Today, though, you mentioned that you want to talk a bit about Sweet Spot. Um, really quick, if this is the first time someone's heard of Sweet Spot, Sweet Spot is what? Well, it's, it's interesting because we've talked about Sweet Spot a lot through throughout this podcast but i don't think we've we have never done like given sweet spot its own episode really no we haven't we've talked about like when we talked about really? polarization we talked a little bit about sweet spot and we talked about like winter training we talked a little bit about sweet spot but sweet spots never got it's, it's always a supporting actor never been a, this is his first big role it's but okay it's it's hard to talk about in isolation because sweet spot really shouldn't be its own thing. You so know? really quick, let's define, let's define terms. If somebody's listening to this and they're confused, what does sweet, what do you mean when you say sweet spot? Okay. So sweet spot. So we've talked about our different zones. Zones one recovery zone two is everyone's favorite. Well, maybe not at least yours, okay. your favorite. There's zone three, which is kind of tempo pace. There's zone four, zone five, you know, and they keep, and the, and the zones are really just kind of somewhat arbitrary. Everyone defines them a little well, differently. They're, yeah, they're just kind of, they're almost there so coaches can kind of communicate at what intensity workouts should be prescribed at. So we or, also say zone two rides. Or, dis, or, or described by or stay whatever. Stay below zone three. It's like yeah. the relative terms that dictate effort, right? Yeah. And... You know, and, and so they're, they're zones and they're usually based on, unless you have access to a lab, most people base their zones on either, either their heart rate threshold 
or their FTP. And those zones are usually just a percentage of their FTP test or a threshold test. Really, really quick. I know everyone should know FTP. FTP, maximum amount, average amount of power you can produce for an hour, right? Well, so we're saying roughly. No one really says an hour, but yeah, sure, it's, sure. it's about roughly, the amount of steady power you can produce for about, yeah. for about 30 minutes to, to an hour. So where, so. what is sweet spot? Sweet spot is not, a, it's so, not a zone, right? Yeah. Sweet spot really doesn't fall cleanly in a zone. Um, because it was kind of created after the the Coggin zone mile model was created. Um, but sweet spot is roughly between about 88 and 94% of your FTP. So okay. it's just basically you kind of find your FTP and writing at sweet spot is just, a f- you know, a few percentage points behind that. So your FTP is 200 watts. Your sweet spot is 170 to 100 and I don't know, 80 ish, 175. I did the math really quick. Oh, did you? I was impressed. I did. Well, that's why I got my calculator because I'm bad at math. So again, what what did you say those percentages were? It's between about 88% and 94%. 88 and 94. So that'd be uh, between 176 and hang on. 188. So like, yeah, between 175, 185 watts for somebody with a 200 watt FTP, which I think is a lot of people kind of in that zone. So that is, that, that's hard. That's like an uncomfortable mm-hmm. pace, but you're not going, it's not race pace, right? Like if you were racing at sweet spot, you're leaving something on the table, right? Yeah. It's not, especially for, for mountain bikers, it's not a race pace for some road cyclists. It could be right. Right. For gravel. It could be for right. mountain bikers. Not really for, for, we should say kind of your standard cross country distance at least. Yeah. Right? Um, it's, it's kind of considered kind of like upper zone three, lower zone four, kind of right in that range. But sub threshold. Yeah. But sub threshold. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about threshold again in just a sec, just as kind of a refresher course. I talk about that a lot, but, but like, you know, like when you're riding in zone two, and this is kind of how I describe it. Like when you're riding in zone two, it should feel a little bit easy. You know, like like, it's, it's hard to get kids to ride in zone two. We talk about it all the time because they want to go a little hard. They want to go hard. Right? When you're riding in zone three, that's when it just feels really, really good and you're having fun. That's and what people kind of default to is zone three. Yeah, zone, right? yeah. It's hard enough that it's interesting, but it's not, you're not suffering in zone three. Yeah. And, um, and, the, but sweet spot is where it's kind of like you're in zone three, but you kind of start crossing that uncomfortable line. Okay. You know, um, it's starting to get like, like if you're riding with someone else and you're in, in, you're in sweet spot, you're starting to kind of feel a little bit like Uh-oh. you're starting to question things a little bit. Right. You know, like, can, I, a, can I hang, you know, like, I'm not sure if this is mm-hmm. okay. And, and like, I kind of think of it like if you were doing like a, like if you were doing a VO two max type interval and that's kind of a zone five zone six type interval. And you were doing a three minute VO two max interval. You got done with the third minute and someone came up to you with a $10 bill and said, here's 10 bucks. If you can go for another minute, you'd be like, no way. No, forget no. that. Yeah. yeah. But if you were doing like a sweet spot interval and say it was like a 10 minute sweet spot interval, you get to the end, you're excited to quit. Someone walks up to you and, hands you 10 bucks and says, here's 10 bucks. If you can go five more minutes, it's like, you wouldn't want to, but you could be like for 10 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I should say for maybe for the kids, a lot of adults are like, no way for 10 bucks for adults, (laughs) hundred bucks, 
hundred bucks for that extra five minutes. Like, oh, I can handle that, right? Yeah. Because we've all had those intervals where it's like, tell me to go another ten seconds for a million dollars. I can't do it. Like, there's just this. You've reached the limit. We're very mm-hmm. much not in that zone. It's so. Is it is it like kind of hard? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard, and um, in in some ways, like a lot of people really really like working in this in this zone because you right. feel like you're getting a workout. Like zone two takes a lot of faith because a yeah. lot of times zone two work, you don't really, a lot of people don't really feel like they're getting a workout, even though you just got to trust the system that you are. Right. Like when you're working sweet spot, you feel like you're working out yeah. for sure. Right. You know, and, and it's kind of an intensity that like, like whenever you're doing sweet spot, it's like you kind of want to quit cause it's that much uncomfortable, but you don't have to like, you, you know, in theory, like in theory you could do it for three hours, you know, but nobody's got the mental fortitude to be able to, to hold that pace for that long. You know, it just, it would just be too mentally taxing to, to hold it for that long. So, so sweet, sweet spot. Why, why do we call it sweet spot? Cause if, if zone two is where the benefits really are, isn't that the sweet spot? Well, where does, where does that come from? I've always wondered that. So, so really why it's called sweet spot is, um, when you kind of consider the adaptations it produces, it does it in a relatively short amount of time. Bang for your buck. It's, it's a bang for your buck thing. And, and it really kind of comes from like, you kind of get like, as your exercise gets more and more and more intense, the physiological strain on your body and the amount of recovery required increases. And it's kind of like the maximum intensity you can kind of work out where the physiological strain isn't that high. Okay. And so um, when it first kind of came out, the whole magic of it was and what people were kind of selling you on is that um, you're getting a lot of work, you're doing a lot of work, but you recover so quickly that you can do it a lot. And it kind of got overused at first, you know, like people thought that you could kind of do it every single day and be fine. And and turns out that only works for a little, little while. Like a lot of people that would do that really tended to plateau and, and overtrain and burn out, you know, it, it still needs to be used in moderation, but you do recover from it a lot quicker than, other types of work. And, and one of the, um, one of the, the biggest selling points to sweet spot training is that you get almost identical benefits at training just below your threshold that you would if you train just above it. But if you train just above it, the strain is, the strain is significantly higher. higher it costs a lot more for the same gains. Exactly. Okay. And, and this is something I believe personally because I've I've experimented with it on myself and with with people I've worked with and so it's pretty forth. well established I think yeah like um, like really working just above your threshold really doesn't seem to be that beneficial but I've seen just amazing results with people that that do some sweet spot work for increasing their FTP so I have lived a lot in the sweet spot world over the past few years with the kind of post Nika phase of my life where it's like you have two hours between classes, three days a week, right? Or like 
it's winter and I have an hour that I have available to spend. This is something that comes up with time crunched athletes a lot is working in sweet spot because you can get pretty significant gains for your time where the zone two training is ideal, but it's kind of really magical when you can spend a lot of time at zone two sweet spot is really relevant for time crunched athletes, right? Yeah. And, and it's, um, I would just kind of correct you a little bit there because I think a lot of people think because they go out and do a ride, that's kind of hard that they're riding sweet spot. And really what that is more is they're doing a lot, a lot of like zone one and zone six and zone one and zone six to actually ride at sweet spot needs to be pretty intentional. So we're not saying you're averaging at sweet spot. We're saying you're actually living in sweet spot. You're really trying to hold it within that intensity range. Got it. And you know, if you just go out and do a hard group ride with your buddies, um, you're really probably just doing a lot of like zone two, zone four, zone six, zone one, zone, you know, um, to really ride at sweet spot, you really almost need to do it either on a trainer or on immigration Canyon. And, um, and you kind of have to watch your computer to, to kind of make sure you're in that range. Cause it's surprisingly difficult. So I'm saying I've been doing sweet spot in reality, me and a lot of other people that say that probably aren't right. Probably not. Interesting. You know, I think okay. if you, if you had access to your power files, you'd probably go back and look at some of those hard rides that you do because you're time crunch. So you want to go hard. Right. And you probably wouldn't actually find a whole lot of time in that zone. You'd probably find a lot of below it and a lot way above it. So you're kind of, bouncing around a lot and I think that's what a lot of people do and I think a lot of people kind of think that's sweet spot when they do it but it's it's really not the intention well it's interesting that you say that because like this is pretty this is popular right like this is one of those like endurance at least in the endurance training world this is kind of a buzzword right this is like synergy in the corporate world is, is sweet spot um, and it seems like maybe people are misusing the term no, I, I think people use the term correctly, but um, it's, you know, I gained a lot of popularity, oh gosh, like 10, 12 or so years ago, um, you know, with, with Dr. Andy Coggin. And he's, he kind of, he kind of produced some charts that seem a little arbitrary to me. But like, if you look at some of these charts he produced, like, he's, he's got kind of like the different zones across the top of the chart. And then down the side of the chart, he's got like all these physiological adaptations and, you know, and the more adaptations that you get from each zone, he'll put like an X there. And and like in the sweet spot column, he's just got all these X's, you know? And like, if you looked at that chart, that's probably all you'd ever do is sweet spot. But again, kind of arbitrary. Like we say, like sports science is not as good as like, medical science right like when you say science here it's a much lower yeah I, I think this chart was more just kind of a an illustration rather than right there's probably not a you know because yeah if you looked that... at this chart you probably would never do zone two again you know right um and but that it really brought a lot of popularity to it um you know a lot of training and, and the thing is it's not really it should never ever be a training method it's more of a type of workout um and, you know, we'll talk about in, the, in a sec about the controversy between sweet spot and polarized because, you know, basically they're, opposites, they're complete right? like if opposites. You're polarized, yeah. you're never... like, like if you're polarized, you're doing most of your work in zone two and a little bit of it in zone five and six. And, 
you're kind of avoiding zone basically you're doing zone two and intervals never hang out in sweet spot and you do seem to advocate for the former as you know like do a lot of zone two and then do some intervals is essentially the training prescription that you seem to push right i do but i do i think that there's a very valuable time and place for sweet spot and we'll talk about that in just a second but it really um the whole polarized versus sweet spot debate really isn't isn't a fair debate and we'll talk about that in a second but um but yeah, it kind of got really, you know, like high intensity intervals were had were just super popular and there for a while it was like kind of all anyone ever did and um and then, you know, kind of like sweet spot started gaining some popularity because you know, really for like for newer beginner or returning athletes, there's a lot of bang for the buck with sweet spot. Um you know, if you if you do sweet spot training for the appropriate amount of time, you will notice a difference. Um you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of advantages there that, you know, that's, that's, that some training platforms really, really have adopted, you know, like trainer road does a lot of sweet spot. It's not all they do. Um, but they do a lot of sweet spot, probably too much in my opinion. Um, fast cat training. That's his, um, Frank Overton, the, uh, I guess he's the coach of fast cat training supposedly coined the phrase sweet spot i guess that's what oh really that's his claim you know so um does he get a royalty check every time we say sweet spot i don't think so it's a joke dan (laughs) but um but that training platform is very heavy in sweet spot and both those platforms have made you know a lot of people really fast yeah there's there's so and like it's interesting in bringing this up. I'm kind of trying to decide. I'm like, are you a fan of this? Are you cautioning against it? Like, I know it's maybe too early to ask that question, but like, yeah, that's a, you know, that's a real, and I am definitely a fan of sweet spot. Like I think those that completely have adopted, I think, I think polarized training has almost oversimplified it for people. And, and I think if you're going to do like, you know, 80, 20 all year round of zone two and zone five, you're really going to plateau because you're pretty much doing the same thing all season long. And I think that, that, you know, they've done a really, really good job of, of popularizing the polarized training, but I, I think there's definitely a place for sweet spot. Um, and yeah, and I'll talk about that in just a sec. A few more, like one of the big advantages of of sweet spot training, like we said, there's a, there's a good bang for the buck. You know, you recover from it quickly. Um, you know, one one thing it, it really does is very beneficial for is it's a point at where you become really really good at clearing lactate, and and also it's really really good at making it so your muscles can handle a high degree of strain for a long time. And that term, the terms muscular durability. Yeah. Durability, muscular endurance, strength, endurance. Um, that's, that's super important for building an overall strong athlete. Um, so a lot of people like, like there's, there's some people that call like, like sweet spot, like spicy zone two or spicy zone two. That's or, gotta be from a meme page <laughs> or, or poor man zone two. Um, 
I kind of think of it as the multivitamin of training. Okay. You know, because you're, you know, when you're, when you're training at sweet spot, you're actually, you're training like multi, like when you're training at zone two, you're really kind of focusing on, you know, your fat adaptation and your slow twitch muscle development. When, when you're training at sweet spot, you're still developing those, but not in as an effective as a way of those two things, but you're training other things as well. So you're kind of training like a whole bunch of things at one time, which will make you noticeably faster if you've got limited time. You know, if you have more time, it'd be better to focus more on those other things, spend more time there. But, um, but yeah, it's, yeah, so there's, um, so, so definitely, definitely there's, there's a really good reason to include it in your training. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about when and where, but, um, just as a review, you know, because one of the important things is understanding that what training below your threshold means, um, you know, as we've talked about before, like is, is your is your exercising and your intensity increases, your body is doing different things to meet those demands, you know. Um, so, as as your exercise gets more and more intense, you know, once you kind of pass that zone two, you start using more and more glycolysis to produce the energy. Um, this glycolysis produces lactate as a byproduct. Um, your slow twitch muscle fibers are really, really good at using this lactate. In fact, they love using it. It's a really good form of fuel. Um, but eventually you're going to reach a point where you're producing more lactate than you can utilize. Your muscles become acidic. The lactate spills into the bloodstream. And that is considered your threshold. And So and what you mentioned earlier, true, like you said, unless you have access to a lab, you use power or heart rate. To kind of is guess. Is this what we're talking about with a lab, right? Is your lactic threshold. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you can get into a lab and have that point actually measured. where they And this is where they prick your ear, right? We've yeah. all seen the videos that the pros do on their YouTubes or whatever of them in a lab with a big Darth Vader mask on and they're on a bike and they get pushed to the very limit. And then when they reach that, some poor guy has to go and try to get into their earlobe and prick them to get yeah, blood. And they're just using the lactate to really kind of determine how the body's producing energy. Got it. And, and that is your true threshold, right? We're like power and heart rate is a pretty good estimate, whatever, but it is an estimate. And We're it's a pretty good estimate. estimate. It's a pretty good estimate because um, once you cross that point, like hours become minutes. There's like an exponential dip. Yeah. Right. In, in how yeah, long you Yeah. So survive. I think for most people getting into a lab, isn't that necessary? No. Um, like it would I be mean, super would be, overkill for, it would be most interesting. Yeah. But, okay. um, and, and above that threshold also what kind of starts happening is that's the point where like, and this is assuming like if, if, you know, if you're, if you're kind of doing a test to see which energy systems you're using, you know, you just gradually ramp up the power and ramp up the power, um, you know, you'd get to that point where you're producing more lactate, it's spilling into the blood bloodstream. Um, at that point, you're still like completely aerobic, assuming that you're producing that power in a steady fashion. You know, if you're, if you're the type that like goes easy, pedals hard, goes easy, pedals hard, goes easy, you know, you're, there's an, an anaerobic contribution to that, even 
below your FTP, but assuming you're just gradually ramping up that power, like in a steady, in a steady way, you are just completely aerobic. After that threshold, you're still pretty much completely aerobic. But at that point, there starts to be a more and more of an anaerobic contribution to kind of help you produce that power until you reach your VO2 max where, you know, you're utilizing all the oxygen you can. And from that point, you become really quite anaerobic. Like, so you, when you say, and that's what anaerobic means, you've utilized all of the oxygen you can. So anything that is anaerobic is without oxygen. Anything additional to that would be anaerobic. Got it. And really quick, like how does your body, because like, like a car engine runs on air basically, right? Is your, your air is the main fuel and then gas just kind of helps combust it, right? Could you help me understand like when you say anaerobic contribution, what are we what are we subbing in basically for your body utilizing oxygen? Well, it's basically just burning carbohydrates in the cytosol of the cell rather than in the mitochondria. It skips a whole bunch of steps. It wastes a whole bunch of fuel. It produces a whole bunch of byproducts, but it does it really, really quick. So you're going, basically you're going into overdrive. It's like, this is to get you yeah. just like and, over that, but you can't run on that. And right? you know, it's kind of like once you cross your threshold, you're using a little bit about, but you're still mostly like, like we really aren't anaerobic very often in cycling. We're mostly aerobic, you know, there's just kind of a contribution. What, what is an activity where you, where you really just really truly anaerobic just to help illustrate the point? Like weightlifting, um, like a 10 second sprint, throwing a javelin kind of a thing. Like we're true, like truly talking about things that are measured in seconds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but you know, once you cross that threshold, the con the anaerobic contribution increases. Okay. So it's really you know, not, so you're becoming like to say you're becoming anaerobic isn't true. It's, the pie chart that shows how much anaerobic is coming into play, like that's that gets slice, bigger and bigger the further you're gets above. bigger and bigger, but it still the, is the further you're above threshold. Right. So like in the Fast and, and the Furious, where like they add nitrous to the car or whatever to get them to go a little faster for that ten seconds, the car doesn't run on nitrous. It's a tool in the toolbox, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. I got you. Yeah. So, so that's kind of that's your threshold, and it's it's um, you know, the higher power you can produce at that threshold. Typically, the better cyclist you are when you compare your weight. Well, that's what we've talked about before, that like a lot of people have world tour level power for five or 10 seconds, right? That like the real difference between me and a pro is that a pro, you know, can do my threshold for 12 hours, right? Or that like, you know, his threshold is significantly higher than mine. It's not a question of like, you know, how strong you are. Like a lot of people can do... Like a lot of people watch like the Velon videos of like the final sprint at the end of the tour and they're like, oh, like I have sprint numbers. My sprint numbers hit that occasionally. Like I'm not insanely far off that, but you are insanely far off Pukachar's threshold, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Yeah. And so raising that threshold, raising that point at which you can sustainably and you can, you can sustainably utilize all the lactate you're producing the longer you're able, the the higher you're able to get that point, the better cyclist you're going to be. So raising it is going to make you a better racer. Got it. You know, and, and like you would probably think that like riding above it is going to help, but it turns out it really doesn't. Huh. Riding at sweet spot is a very, very effective way to increase that threshold because you're riding at that point where your body is clearing about the maximum amount of lactate that it can. And it's 
getting better and better at doing that. It's and clean. that you're doing it without doing an insane amount of damage. And you can recover you from can it quickly. you can do it quite a bit, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, so, so it's, it is, it is really a valuable, like, like people that completely avoid zone three and are completely against training in the gray zone or whatever are really missing out on a valuable tool in the toolbox. Got it. So, um, you know, we, we talked a lot about like, there's kind of this battle, like people like to compare, like which is better sweet spot or polarized. And, you know, it's, it's really not. It's like saying, which is better, a hammer or a screwdriver? It's yeah. Like, what are you trying to do? It's a fault. It's like, a, um, it's a false dichotomy, right? And the thing is, is like most scientific studies definitely tend to favor polarized over sweet spot. Like, like most of the, most of the people that are proponents to sweet spot are, it's more because of from experience through coaching and so forth that, that right. um, you know, if you purely looked at like scientific papers on comparing the two, you would definitely pick polarized, but I don't think it's a really fair comparison because usually, you know, if you're doing like a, a six week trial comparing polarized to sweet spot, the polarized training, they, you know, they do some zone two with some VO two max intervals for six weeks. Um, that type of work, that VO2 max type of intervals, they are very, very potent. And they kind of tend to max out in about six weeks. So it's really kind of reaching the, the peak effectiveness of that type of training at six weeks, where obviously whoever's doing that is going to get faster. So you're saying there's like a problem with the study methodology and what you'd really need is that non-existent scientific well, study that follows cyclists for like five years. Well, for sure. But, but if you, to, to really make it a fair comparison to sweet spot, like sweet spot training doesn't tend to max out for like 10 months or 11 months. You know, it, oh, okay. it takes longer to get the maximum amount of benefit from a sweet spot type training. Just like zone two takes years and years to maximize. Right, right. Sweet spot takes... Months, months, not weeks. Yeah, or, or a weeks. I, I, Do you say 10 I, weeks? You said 10 months versus six weeks. I say 10 weeks? months. I meant weeks. Sorry. It oh, takes, okay. It takes about 10 to 12. Can we edit that? Nah, yeah, we're that's a pain. Just know that I said months when I meant weeks back then. I don't think anybody will have stopped listening between now and then. And okay. if they did, then they'll just be running around misinformed. But okay. you know, what do we do? All right. So, so really to make it a fair comparison, you'd have to compare like sweet spot training for six weeks versus... Or sweet spot training for 10 weeks versus polarized for okay. six, you know, to really get a more fair comparison. But even like that, it's, it's, it's kind of like saying which is better, primer or paint. You know, they're, they're kind of different but things. Why would you only use one? Yeah. Right? And that's one of those things where people try to oversimplify and be like, this is the answer or whatever. And like everything else, it's like, no, the world is complex. And really maximizing your results means using discretion mm -hmm. and making hard decisions that involve nuance, right? Yeah. But I do think that a more useful debate is comparing sweet spot to traditional base. Traditional base being just the just, just four hours a day, five days a week. Of, of zone two? Of just zone two. Um, Got it. You know, that's, that's traditionally how tro pros have trained for decades. Decades, and, yeah. And it's still the, the base method of choice for pro riders. And, and here's where I think it's a more useful debate, whether, you know, adding sweet spot to that is, is better or not. Um, and it really just kind of depends on if you've got 15 to 20 hours a week to, to train during your base, 
maybe traditional is better. But most people, and I would probably say 99% of the people listening now, don't really have that much time. They can't do four, three, four-hour rides every single day of the week. And I guarantee for those people, including sweet spot training into their base training, will make them noticeably faster. So but the, the caveat there is that, and, and I can't emphasize this enough, is that if you are going to include sweet spot training into your base training, that you don't do it every day. It's a supplement, it's, right? It's, it, you're still kind of polarized, but rather than doing VO2 max intervals, you're doing zone two with a couple sweet spot workouts a week. Okay. Yeah, I still, um, I still wouldn't do more than two. Because you got to remember, sweet spot workouts need to be considered your hard workouts for the week. And as a general rule, you should have no more than two hard workouts a week and the rest should be zone too easy or recovery. And you need to count sweet spot rides as your hard rides. So during your base, you would do, you know, you would do two sweet spot workouts a week and the rest would be zone two. And I think for most people, that's going to be a very effective base period. Got it. So this is, this is, uh, it's there's basically so we, we wanted to we, we like are you pro or anti zone two like I said we're trying to figure it out zone it's two? or zone two sweet spot remember we visited that earlier where you're like you know I was trying to figure out are we are we saying don't do this or saying do this and the answer is do it the right way absolutely do it during I think it is a great 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 tool during your base periods got it and then once you're through with your base periods once you start building up for race you know when you're when you're eight to ten weeks before your A event. I probably wouldn't do a whole lot of sweet spot. Then I would go more polarized and do, do more zone two and VO two max type intervals at that point. But during the base period, I would do zone two and sweet spot. And I think that's really kind of the best, the best of both worlds. So at the end of the day, the most important question, um, what does this actually look like in the real world? Like we talked last week a little bit about like what, a zone two ride looks like on the train around the real world. Like how do you actually do something with this? Yeah. So I think probably a really important principle to keep in mind with when you're doing sweet, when you're attempting to do sweet spot training, it's, it's similar to like with zone two training, like you can't do zone two, you can't progress zone two training by doing zone two harder because you eventually kind of cross a line where it's not zone two anymore. It's not zone two anymore. You're starting to get a little bit glycolytic, you know, and then you're training different things a little bit, you know. So training at a higher intensity doesn't really isn't really a shortcut. Um, so I think like the first thing with if you do want to attempt sweet spot training, the first thing would be to calibrate your zones. You know, take an FTP test or something. You know, so really quick, how good are FTP tests good for? How long are they good yeah, for? Yeah, like how often do you think it's a general rule you should be considering retesting your FTP? Because it's not every week, but it's also not once every five no, years. You know, but the nice thing about like the ramp tests is you can do those all the time. They're like not a big deal. You know, you could do them frequently. Ramp tests would be really quick defined for people who... Well, like so on Zwift, if you use Zwift, it's got like a, a ramp test that you just kind of like every minute it increases the wattage by like 20 watts or something until you fail until you just can't push the pedals anymore and it takes 
it just kind of figures out. It takes a certain percentage of which wattage you get to and estimates that as being your FTP. And the benefit you were getting at is those are usually what, like eight to 12 minutes? Well, I don't well eight minutes if you finish it, like, and you usually don't even get to the full eight minutes right. sometimes, you know? Yeah. So like, um, yeah, they're just a few minutes long, not super accurate, but it's a good calibration. Um, Which is all you're really after, right? You're yeah. Calibrating. You know, um, so how often then, like... I would say a bare minimum when you start your spring training and when you start your winter training. That's a, a bare minimum. Yeah, though. that's a like, bare minimum. I would also say if your workouts ever start to feel too easy or too hard, you could retest or just adjust, man, or just adjust it. You know, yeah. like if you can't ever finish a workout... Dial it down. Dial it down. If every workout's a piece of cake, dial it up. Yeah. And of course, in small increments, you know, we're talking 5%, not 50, right? Yeah, so okay. that's that's kind of the first thing, but yeah, like, like when you're when you're training your sweet spot, overestimating it is counter counterproductive. You know, you, I'm so sorry to jump in again. Can we normalize not bragging about FTP? Like that is, don't tell other people what your FTP is, not just because it's it's completely meaningless. Like me and. You know, I don't know, like Xander having the same FTP means nothing because he weighs significantly less than I do. Maybe I'm more aero than he, like maybe our power meters are totally different. Like really quick, like I'm so sorry to just jump in here. Like, like don't talk about what your FTP is. It's just not helpful to anyone. It's a number for you to know. It doesn't mean anything in and of itself. It is a tool. Like you said, it's to calibrate your workouts. Yeah. Sorry. Just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. So. So really the way you want to progress your sweet spot work is by spending more time there. Right. You know, like, like you're going to, you're going to want to start out with like, you know, at first, maybe at first, like 30 minutes overall work and you, you break it up into intervals to achieve the overmount overall amount of time. You know, you don't just do it in one big 30 minute chunk. Cause that would be really hard to do. Um, but you basically, you know, you start with, usually people start out with about 40 minutes of time and zone, and then you could increase that to 60 to 90. And then like, really you could get up to a total of two hours at sweet spot in a big massive workout. And I'm going to actually do that over Christmas break. You and know, you're saying for, interspersed over a larger amount of time. Yeah. You know, you do it as intervals, you know, you have, you'll, you'll like do like, you know, you might start off with 10 minute efforts with two minutes in between and then you could probably get to where the point where you could do 20 minutes at a time with two minutes in between and um you know there's like you could break it up into like a whole bunch of different ways usually you'd want to keep them at least 10 minutes um doing less than that it probably isn't ideal um but yeah so you're just extending the amount of time you can spend at that intensity rather than just like you know, at first you do a sweet spot workout at 180 watts and then next week you do it at 185. You know, it doesn't really work that way. Really be cool if it did. Yeah, it'd be cool if you did. Um, eventually you will reach a point where it starts feeling easy. You know, you kind of run out of time and then you could, you know, you retest your FTP mm-hmm. and maybe adjust your sweet spot accordingly, maybe make it a little higher, you know, but Really, you don't want because your goal really is you're working at this point where you haven't crossed your threshold. You're you're all the lactate you're producing, you're processing 
you really, it's, it's almost better, I would say, to err on the side of underestimating it, but spending more time there than overestimating it and spending less time. So just, and, and like, and not to like belabor the point, but it's like, like, I like that comment there. Like, it's better to underestimate, spend more time than overestimate. Like we talk about like power or like uh, pride lifting or what's it called? Um, I think you're right. Pride lifting. Pride lifting. It's like pride Watts is the same thing. Don't, you know, like, like I remember feeling like, oh, I know this kid who I think I'm faster than, but he said he's doing his intervals at this. So if I'm not doing my intervals, like there's a right number for you. And, and you know what? Like, like I've always said, I'll, I'll shout him out. Like, I think Xander is going to be really successful long-term in cycling because he is so ridiculously mature. And you know, that he and just, and, and he's like the opposite of the way I was, you know, like whether or not one of us is more or less talented or has more or less resources, I don't know. But I can tell you that a, a reason that he's gone a lot farther than I have in competitive cycling is that he's a grown up. you know, that he's not, he is like the last person who would be like, bragging about what particular watts he can do or feeling like he needs to do intervals at this wattage or this wattage or his FTP, you know, it's just, you know, they're, they're just numbers. They mm. only mean things so far as they can help you. They're not like to brag about. Yeah, that's a good point. And the one um, thing I, I, I want to mention about progression that I, I might not have mentioned earlier is that you can progress sweet spot for about 10 weeks. Oh yeah. I did mention that earlier cause I called it 10 yeah, months. I called it 10 months. Yeah. So this is something that you can, you know, it takes a little bit longer to develop than other types of fitness. Um, and it, it can develop over 10 weeks. So you want to kind of work that into your season plan a, a, accordingly, you know, so right. really quick too. I, I do have another question. I, I'm, I'm going to keep asking this because I, you know, I feel for the people who are currently time crunched and the people who will be soon. Um, if you are time crunched, can you substitute zone two work for this kind of work? I know I kind of asked that earlier, but given sort of the additional context we've added, what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a really good, good question. And it kind of depends on how many days a week you're working out your training. Okay. So even if it's the same, if we're, if we have 10 hours a week, but it's interspersed differently. Well, I, I would say like, say you're time crunched and you are only dedicating two days a week to training. Okay. Then I would say, yeah, you could, both those days could be sweet spot training. You're fine. Cause, cause really if you're only training two days a week, you're really not at a risk of overtraining or be really yeah. hard to burn yourself out on two days a week. Just yeah. It's also hard to get, it, it's hard to get as fast as you need to be, you know, like, but you, you'd have plenty of recovery and stuff that two days of sweet spot, spot a week would be fine. If you're doing more than two days, those other days should be zone two. What so, if you've got an hour a day, five or six times a week that you can do it every day, so, but you just don't have a lot of time. Yeah. So I would do two of those days. I would do sweet spot. The rest of them, I would do zone two. Because remember, if you're doing zone two efficiently, like on a trainer or on up immigration or on a road or something, it can you can really accomplish quite a surprising amount of goodness in an hour. Really? So just riding the zone two for an hour most days a week and then doing sweet spot for an hour to like two of the days. OK, you're basically just treating them as your hard workouts. Got it. 
During, yeah. and we're saying during the winter. Well, well, during the winter or during any base season. Any base, oh, right. So, it, so yeah. this wouldn't be like in July. You're probably not um, going to be looking at it that way. But I think usually people schedule. Well, a but yeah, when you're in your build, you've got a little more time, daylight. Yeah, and when you're in the build, it's more polarized. Then it's like got you're it. doing zone two with VO two max type work, or or maybe some sprint work or what you know. Got it. Got it. But during during your build, you would do. Sweet spot work would kind of be your hard workouts with, with your zone two. So, you got it. Okay, that yeah. makes enough sense. Yeah, and um, but like you brought up winter training, like is, you know, we're we're doing winter training right now. Is sweet spot a good idea during winter training? And I would say it depends. You know, for like, I I would say it depends what type of other training you're doing, what type, you know, like how intense your cross training is. Like for me, um, most of the, most of the activities I do are very pretty low intensity. I mean, I walk rusty, the dog after work and we then went for a hike yesterday. We went for a hike. That's but pretty for, for our schemo kids though. Yeah. So for me, Nordic. for me, when I ride the trainer, I probably should do some sweet spot work. Right. Um, but you know, if you're, you know, if you're doing something like if your running groups, higher intensity and your schemos, higher intensity, um, You'd want to be cautious about doing, you, you probably wouldn't need sweet spot as much as someone whose other activities are lower intensity. Like you, you don't want to be like double dosing basically, right? Yeah. Okay. That yeah, you just sense. have to remember it, sweet spot is hard work. Okay. Yeah. It's, it, they're, they count as hard workouts. So you don't want to, no matter what you're doing, you don't want too many hard days in, in one week. So. Got it. Yeah. So just kind of like. I guess just kind of a few points to kind of kind of wrap things up. Um, you know, a lot of people are kind of down on sweet spot training because they've really jumped on the polarized thing, which, you know, and for good reasons, polarized training is, is solid. But there's definitely, definitely a place for sweet spot training. And especially, especially for people that have been been doing this for less than three years. Right. These, these type of riders, like new riders are going to notice like huge benefits and huge gains from riding sweet spot. Um, returning riders, you know, like if you're someone that like takes the whole winter off and and loses some fitness, it's really, really beneficial for returning riders. Um, and, and even for like, you know, even for like some pro riders, like people that, that focus more on gravel um, sweet spot riding can actually be pretty specific race prep too. You know, like this is something that if you do that type of racing, you might do during your build even, um, cause it's very specific for them. And, and because it is kind of like the multivitamin of training, you're touching like on, you're, you're kind of combining like, like a lot of systems are getting, worse. yeah, you're kind of combining the zone two goodness with some of the threshold goodness um, it's, it's not a bad way to, to kind of tune up for races too, you know, cause you kind of get, you kind of get everything firing. Um, but you definitely don't want to do it all season. And I, and I think those that advocate for sweet spot training, I don't think any of them advocate doing it all season long, which is why the polarized sweet stop spot debate isn't really a fair debate. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's something that 
I would do during the winter and during base seasons, and you would probably lay off it. You know, you, you might maintain it during your build, but you would mostly focus on more polarized training during your build. So um, one, a, a, another big thing too, and I think a lot of people that learn about, you know, they learn about how potentially awesome sweet spot training could be, but they also know how important like VO2 max intervals are. And so they think that to get really, really fast in a short amount of time, you would combine sweet spot with VO2 max intervals. And that just does not work well because the quality of your intervals, are they're going to be garbage. Um, and it might work for a little while for a new rider or, you know, a beginner rider that might work for a little while, but eventually you're going to plateau and could start you on a downward spiral. Um, if you're doing really, really high quality VO2 max type intervals, your, your endurance rides should be easy. You know, mixing the two just isn't going to go well for very long. So that's a, I think a lot of kids need to learn how to enjoy easy riding. Not just kids. I think a lot of people get into this because they're attracted to like push yourself, go hard, get back to the car and have that. Like, I just did a hard thing feeling. Um, I discovered audiobooks in the past few years, you know, where like it's really nice sometimes to go and try to do a long, because you don't do long rides, right? But like riding easy can be a really, it's like going on a walk, you know, like, you know, sometimes you just go on a walk mm -hmm. and, and listen to a podcast that you like or something and it's really nice. Like, like lear, learn to find joy. Because I always used to be like, I hate riding easy. If I'm riding, I want to ride hard because that's exciting, right? Yeah. And it's, I think it's harder on the trainer. But whatever you can do, you know, like uh, like a long, and maybe it's easier on the road bike too, but like a nice long ride where you're not working super hard, but your heart's still beating and you're sweating just a little bit and being outside and stuff. Like those are lovely. Learn to enjoy them because yeah. they're great for you. And they do take a little bit of faith in the process because, and that's why people just love sweet spot training because you really feel like you're getting a good workout, but it's still somewhat fun, just slightly uncomfortable. Right. If you're doing VO2 work, you shouldn't be excited for it. It's like dread. Yeah. It's like VO2 work sucks. It's like dreadfully hard. And yeah, it, it's, it's definitely type two fun. It's not going to be fun while you're doing it. It's, it's, you, you might feel rewarded afterwards, you know, but I think that's probably part of the reason um, sometimes people can abuse sweet, sweet spot and tempo training and so forth, because, um, it does feel like you're accomplishing something. So it kind of becomes, it can kind of become a go-to type training intensity. And, I'm very guilty of this, by the way, you know, um, but it really needs to be done in the right doses during the right times of the season. And, you know, and mostly like we've said, kind of during the base winter type seasons. And then during the builds, you're more polarized, but it definitely is a very, very useful tool to have in your toolbox. Um, I, I think it's also really good for those that are more into like the endurance type mountain biking and the gravel riding and so forth. So, so don't dismiss it. Um, do it. Just don't overdo it. You know, kind of like a lot of things, I guess. There you go. Uh, well, if you folks have any questions, um, uh, you know, you know where to send them. We really like, we appreciate sending us questions about creatine and the, uh, the, the, the Peloton stuff. Like we, I, I was just telling Dan the other day, like 
I, I love answering those kind of mini questions. I don't know that we'll give a lot of questions like a full episode, but we'd be down to, you know, especially this time of year. Make I, I know I end every podcast with that, but really do like send us any questions that you guys have. A reminder again, and you'll see it a lot of other places. Meeting January 3rd, uh, 6 p.m., Wasatch Junior High. Be on time. Um, come excited. Uh, be safe if you're riding outdoors. Slightly warmer weather this week. I think some of us might get out a little bit. Keep working, be safe, and we will talk to you guys next week. Okay.